now, I'm going to do something tonight um, that I don't often do uh, with, a, with a text, but I'm going to give you a, kind of the background of the text, but then I'm going to use the text in probably a very different way than Paul intended it. Uh, and so I apologize for that in advance. Now, what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about uh, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, what God gave to Moses, like the Ten Commandments, and when Moses would have to go before the Lord on the basis of the Old Covenant, uh, he would have to veil his face when he came out because his face was glowing because of the glory of the Lord, and the people of Israel were kind of afraid to see that. Uh, and, uh, and so he says, you know, now what we have as Christians now is far greater. It's a greater glory than what Moses had because we have the glory revealed in Jesus Christ. So we have our sins forgiven. The law is dead now uh, for us, or we're dead to the law. We're alive to Christ Jesus. We're dead to sin. We're alive to Christ Jesus. And now we have a greater glory in our ministry, in our lives, uh, because of who we are in Christ Jesus. And that uh, we need to focus on this greater glory, uh, the glory that comes through Christ Jesus, because it comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit... Uh, is the Lord who reveals the glory, uh, is the Lord of freedom. And uh, as we turn to the Holy Spirit, uh, we experience this greater glory through Jesus Christ. Now, in a nutshell, that's what Paul's talking about here. Uh, and it certainly applies, but I think it applies in our situation right now in some very interesting ways. And so that's what I want to talk about, especially in light of how we prepare for change. Very few people like to change. Uh, I mean, if somebody said, okay, Rod, I'm going to give you a billion pounds. You can do whatever you want to it with it. It's going to change your life. I'd say, okay, I'll take that change. But for most of us, we don't like change. Uh, it, it's, we're uncomfortable with it. Um, it, it. And so we resist it. Uh, even when God brings us through it, even when God calls us to it, I mean, going back to uh, what we saw in uh, the Old Testament, what we were just talking about, you might remember that after a little while in the desert, some of the Israelites, they wanted to go back to Egypt because they didn't like this new lifestyle of depending on God, uh, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. And it's like, oy vey, what are you people thinking about? You were in slavery in Egypt. But that is the power of our not wanting to change. Now, there are two reasons, there are two obstacles to change in our lives. And these, uh, they might not be the two most dominant obstacles to change, but certainly I think in our context right now, they are two of the most powerful obstacles to change. And, and as I've been saying, change is upon us. Our world is changing, but God is also working through the church of Jesus Christ to bring change as well. So change is upon us. Uh, whether we want to or not. Uh, and the key thing for us as Christians is to prepare ourselves so that we can embrace the change that God brings and experience the benefits of it and not be people who lag behind it, but for change to be people on the, on the, on the front edge of the change that God is bringing. And for us as Christians especially, uh, it's true of actually everybody in every culture of the world, but it's true especially for us as Christians, there are two powerful forces that make us resistant to change. And we see this in the Pharisees that 
uh, in the end, crucified Jesus. You know, this was the sect of the Jews that hated Jesus. Um, and in the end, they resisted Jesus his whole life. And in the end, they motivated the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, and they didn't like change either. And you see these two things uh, in the Pharisees, and really they apply in this passage as well. The first hindrance to change that we face is our own expectations. Our own expectations. Now see, the Pharisees expected that the glory that was going to be revealed in the later time, they were expecting the glory, but they expected the glory to be revealed would be that of a military Messiah that would come in and kick out the Romans and reestablish Israel as the kingdom of God. But that wasn't what God intended. That wasn't what the Old Testament prophesied. Uh, That certainly wasn't what Jesus came to do, as we all know. But the Pharisees expected that. And their expectations for what God would do, their expectations for who God is, their expectations for who the Messiah would be, all prevented them from seeing that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ, the one that God was sending. And in the same way today, our expectations are a major hindrance to change. I mean, many times people expect that, uh, we've talked, for example, in the West, to expect that in a sense, bigger is better. So if God is going to bring change and that change is going to be good, then that change means that I will have more people in my church. That change means that I will have more money in my bank account. That change means that I will have a bigger house. That change means I might have a better job or a bigger car. But bigger is not always better. And we know that. I mean, diamonds are incredibly valuable, uh, but they're very small things. Now, you could argue, okay, a bigger diamond is better than a smaller diamond. Okay, you're, you're right in that. Uh, but what we see in the kingdom of God is that that's not always how God works. Sometimes God increases us by reducing us. You see that in John the Baptist. John said, he must increase, that means Jesus, I must decrease. Sometimes God works in different ways than we expect. I mean, I certainly had expectations for my life 30, 40 years ago. Uh, Many of them have not been fulfilled. Uh, But at the same time, I can't say that my life would be better if any of them would have been fulfilled. No, there are many good things. I love my life. I love the life that God has given me. I love the people around me. And so I'm not going to argue that if I had bigger or I had a different circumstance that it necessarily would, would be better. I could envision a different circumstance that I could envision would be better, but that doesn't mean it is better. And so often we carry around expectations. We carry around expectations like, okay, if God is really good, he will never cause me pain. But that's a bit like saying that, well, if a heart surgeon is really good, he won't cause me pain to do open heart surgery in my life. We all know that a great heart surgeon will cause an awful lot of pain, but that pain is necessary to save our lives. Now, God will not harm us, But harming us and causing pain are kind of two different things. So this first area, we got to look at our expectations about God. 
We got to look at what the expectations about what God wants to do. I know so many guys who go out to plant churches, or I've heard of many other guys who go out to plant churches, and what they want to plant is something that will become like Hillsong. But there's only one Hillsong. Uh, and most of the time, that's not what God's called you to do. So our expectations are a major hindrance to change. We expect certain things will happen and we impose these expectations on God and we don't really seek the scriptures and we don't really seek the Lord for ourselves to say, okay, God, what do you have coming? What is the change coming? One of the things I've been doing now for probably the last two, three months, pretty intently, and I've actually been doing it before all the COVID-19 stuff started, uh, but I've, I've really engaged in a lot more intensely, is trying to discern what God is bringing. Because I want to go through the change that God has for me, the good change, the very best change. And so I'm trying to discern what that is so I can cooperate it as it's, cooperate with it as it's arriving into my life. Now, so our expectations are massive, massive, massive hindrances to experiencing the positive change that God wants to bring in our lives. I mean, many times, you know, for example, with our kids, you know, you can think, all right, uh, I want God to bring change in my child's life. I'm praying for change in my child's life. And we envision in our minds what that change might be. But most of the time, the change that God wants to bring is not what we've got pictured in our minds. And if we don't deal with those expectations, what we end up doing is missing the good that God has for us, just like the Pharisees missed Jesus because they had the wrong expectations. Now, there's a second massive hindrance to change. And like the first one, it is cross-cultural. It exists, everybody, every human being has this, and it's what we call loss aversion. We resist change and sometimes we miss change because we're more motivated by what we will lose than what we will gain. Now think about uh, uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night there in John chapter 3. Why did Nicodemus come? He came because he was a Pharisee and he was concerned, he was afraid that he might lose his standing as a Pharisee if he was seen talking to Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. He was being motivated by what he would lose, not necessarily by what he would gain. And that's why he came to Jesus at night, because he wasn't sure. Now, for many people, that's like the best case scenario regarding change. Most people resist change because, wow, I'm going to lose the situation that I have right now. I'm going to lose what I perceive to be the, the blessing that I have right now in my life. One of my... Uh, my favorite uh, uh, jokes is, uh, a church joke, is uh, how many people does it take to change a light bulb in church? And the response is, change? My grandma gave that light bulb. I want to keep it. Okay, it's not that funny. Okay, many of you have heard it. I've, I've like told that like dozens of times. So that's why people in the room are not laughing as much as they should. There should be, I, I need a backing track of laughter. Uh, anyway. Uh, when, you, when you find yourself digging yourself in a hole, stop digging. But we don't like loss. And so we resist change. 
That's the Pharisees. I mean, they didn't want to lose their standing. They didn't want to lose their privilege. Uh, they didn't want to lose uh, their status uh, in, uh, in, in uh, is- Israelite society. And so they were resisting Jesus. And we resist change in the same way. We are afraid that we might lose what we have. And, it, and it's amazing how we're afraid to lose even when we have a little bit, not a lot. In fact, sometimes people with less fear loss more. And so we really have to check our hearts. We really have to deal with these two issues. Otherwise, they will inhibit us, if not prevent us from experiencing change, from preparing for change even. So how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us some clear guidance here in this text. You know, he talks about how people have to first turn to Jesus to have the veil removed. Now, the veil was the veil covering people's eyes to prevent them from seeing the glory of Christ. Uh, in the case of many people today, the veil is the veil covering our eyes preventing us from seeing the good things that God wants to bring, the positive changes that God might take us through, even though those changes are going to be difficult. I forgot to mention that. And so we can only do this by, by embracing Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus, when we have our sins forgiven, uh, when we're set free from the power of sin, death, and hell, that's the only way that we can really embrace change fully and freely. Uh, It's only through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, see, our sinfulness starts to weigh us down. Our concerns, our expectations, our flesh start to weigh us down. And so we need Jesus. Uh, We need all that Jesus brings. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that right now. Just say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Come, forgive me of my sins. Lead me. Uh, fill me with your spirit. Uh, and uh, if you approach the Lord with an open heart like that and just offer up your whole life, uh, he always receives you through Jesus. But that's only the first thing. Then Paul tells us that we need to turn to the spirit. Turn to the spirit uh, or to the Lord. Now he's going to start talking about the Lord and the spirit. And in these verses, he's talking about the same person. We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Uh, And we need to turn to the Holy Spirit. That word there, turn to the Holy Spirit, means that we have to turn away from something in order to turn to something. So we have to turn away from our fear of loss. We have to turn away from our expectations. We have to turn away from our personal hopes and desires and things like that. And we need to turn to fully the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, lead me, I'm going to follow. You have to turn to the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit, Paul goes on to say, is the Lord. And where the Spirit is, where the Lord is, there is freedom. So it's only as we turn away from our expectations, our loss aversion, our, our you know, personal uh, focus, limited hopes, dreams, visions, and things like that, only as we turn away from those and we turn to the Spirit that we then enter into genuine freedom. 
It's freedom to choose the best. It's freedom to go wherever the Lord leads. It's freedom from all of the shackles that hold us down, shackles that are made by our own expectations. So we turn away from those, turn to the Lord, knowing that in the Lord there is freedom. And that's the place of freedom. That's the place of living in real freedom. There's so many people in the world today that think that they're living in freedom, but actually all they're doing is changing one form of bondage to another form of bondage. The person who brings real freedom is the Spirit of God. And living in relationship with God in the power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. So we embrace Jesus, we surrender our lives to him, we turn away from all that stuff and turn to the Holy Spirit, we embrace the freedom that we have then in the Holy Spirit, and then what begins to happen is, by the Spirit of God, God works in us as we are cooperating and we become transformed from one degree of glory to another. Now, I've heard a lot of Christians over the years preach sermons and talk about that. You know, we'll greet each other and say, I'm going from glory to glory, baby, glory to glory, one degree of glory to another. And uh, uh, I, I laugh a lot because, you know what, many times when I hear people talking like that, uh, they're either doing some positive thinking, try to talk themselves up, or they have an expectation that God's about to deliver what they want not what he wants. And so many times I see people talk about glory to glory language and, and they're trying to be in control of it and they're trying to define it and most of the time they miss it. The only way that we are transformed so that we go from one degree of glory to another is if we are fully surrendered to Jesus, fully turned to the Holy Spirit, walking in that freedom and cooperating fully with the Holy Spirit then God, our Heavenly Father, will ensure that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And do you know how he does that? He takes us through change. The only way that you are transformed from one degree of glory to another is that if you go through change. And every degree of glory requires significant change in your life. The word transformed there is the word metamorphosis, the word we apply when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. That same idea is present in our lives. We are to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, but we always have to go through significant change. Every period of my life involved change. And sometimes it was change that I did not really want to do. And sometimes it was change that I said, okay, God, I'll do it. But when I was in the middle of it, I didn't really like it. But I liked the outcome. And often the change involved struggle and involved a bit of discomfort and pain. But that is the key. We need to prepare for change. Change is coming in our world, whether we like it or not. Change is coming to the Church of Jesus Christ globally, whether we like it or not. The choice that we have is whether we will allow change to come to us, whether we will embrace fully and prepare our, embrace God fully and prepare ourselves for change, 
by surrendering to Jesus, turning away from the stuff, turning to the Holy Spirit, living in the freedom of the Holy Spirit, and fully cooperating with God's process to change us from one degree of glory to another. I pray that will be true for you. I pray that will be true for our whole church because amazing things are coming in the future and God is going to do extraordinary things and I believe he's going to do extraordinary things in the life of City Temple and in your life as well. Father God, we love you and we honor you. We worship you and we adore you. We thank you for this night together in your presence. Um, And now, Father, I pray that you would show us the change that's coming and help each of us prepare for that change as led by your Holy Spirit, that we might bring glory and honor and praise to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.